Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. My name is Jason Stabinskis. I'm the Managing Director of Los Cerros Limited. We're listed on the ASX and hold dominant positions in two districts of the Mid-Corker Porphyry Belt of Colombia. Fantastic. Jason, thank you very much for joining us today. This is our second, I've got, we've got to admit it, haven't we? This is our second attempt to do this. First time around, I think I was, I was a little bit poorly and I was no yes, good I, to I, man I or beast. I unconsciousness for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> It's a true story. I literally, I thought I was going to faint twice. Um, anyway, thanks for thanks for coming back. First of all, you're a good sport for 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 coming back after my disastrous performance last time around. But um, here to hear, we are here to hear your story. Not heard it before, and we hadn't, apart from that uh, meeting previously, spoken before, and I've not heard the story before, so I'm, I'm keen to hear it. Um, can we start? First of all, what's your background? Uh, I'm a geologist, so I started my career as a geologist. Uh, did an MBA. Uh, spent some time in management consulting, mainly sort of strategy level board consulting, those sorts of things. Um, some time in banking, uh, linked to mining and general banking, and um, was the general manager of a metallurgical consultancy for a while. So uh, way back when, a, a recruitment person told me, you've got the trifecta, you're a geologist, you've worked in a metallurgical consultancy and you've worked in banking, you should be the MD of a junior, and that's been the case ever since. They're pitching that as a good thing, were they? Blimey. <laughs> um, well, like, okay, so, so that's like, um, how long have you been involved with the current setup or in, 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 with the company in its current incarnation? Okay, well, I was um, the managing director of half of the story. So I was the managing director of Andy's Resources, which was not, not a listed company, but a public company. And that merged with Metminco in um, mid-2019. And um, we rebranded that as Los Ceros to reflect the fact that it was new management and, and new direction. So it depends on where you say, what is the start? So if it's the start of Andes and it's sort of 2017, if it's Los Ceros, then I was the uh, uh, the first managing director of the new entity. Well, I guess it's Los Ceros really, because I'm, I'm trying to understand the sort of the, the, the rise because you're sort of bouncing around a couple of cents then no one's really interested. It wasn't a particularly fun market either, to be honest, but uh, I'm interested in how you put the pieces together. I get the two companies coming together, but what about the assets themselves? Where, where did they come from? Mm. All right. Well, if, maybe if I can rewind a little bit. Being the managing director of Andes Resources, we had a very large footprint in Colombia, but it was all very early stage. So in terms of your, your textbook project pipeline, we were all at the greenfield in an early stage. We didn't have the, um, the mature project to talk about. And we had ambitions to list uh, in 2019. And then along came Metminco, which held ground to the south of us, about a, about a tenth of the size of what we've got, because we do have a very significant footprint. But they had advanced projects. They had a DFS at Miraflores and, and, and similar. Uh, so we thought, well, that complements the, um, the pipeline perfectly. They're listed, so we get a listing event out of this as well. And let's see if we can get a deal done. So that um, came to a head in mid-2019. The first thing we did was to um, ignore all of the previous work and engage uh, experts that, that we know from the industry and prioritise all of the assets. So a critical review of all the assets, prioritise them at two levels, prioritising them at a strategy level, what's, what's important long-term and where's, where's the, um, the potential there, but also uh, tactical. We are, where do we need to drill first to get some credibility in the market that we're onto something significant? So the quick wins, basically. And uh, came, coming out of that was a list of prioritised targets, uh, two of those being Chusco and uh, Tessarito. 
and it was drilling uh, the first hole at Tesserito, which hole eight in the history of that target, but um, our first hole uh, was what really created the step change for the company. And we went from sort of seven mil to 18 mil in the space of a few weeks. Why would you choose South America or, or Colombia for that matter? Because there's a, there's a kind of like, and I say, I say in that context of the Aussies give it a massive discount, right? So out of this gate, you've got one, one arm tied behind your back. So why, why'd you go for it? Uh, because of the opportunity. See, there are a few places in the world at any particular moment in time where a country is emerging from a retarded exploration period, whatever is the cause of that. It could be many a thing. But uh, Colombia, for example, it was 40 years of, of conflict and instability caused by the, um, the internal conflict there with the FARC. Uh, during that period, not much exploration was, was being done in, in many of the areas of Colombia. Now, geologically, Colombia is the same as Chile and Peru and Ecuador. It's the same um, drivers that lead to discoveries, right? So whilst all those discoveries are in the recent history of Chile and, and Peru and Ecuador, because um, exploration was, was slow in Colombia, they're in the future. So it created this sort of, this sort of pent-up potential uh, after 40 years of not being explored to have some very, very significant discoveries. And that's, that's proving the case. You look at some of the big discoveries of Anglo Gold Ashanti and, and Buritiko in the north and those sorts of things. You know, we're, we're getting multi-million ounce discoveries around us. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed some of the, the big the big players there, and obviously it's it's a, it's a well and down coastline all, all the way down through Chile as well. Um, so I, I can see that the appeal to it geologically, but as a as a business, it must be tough talking to an audience who perhaps don't understand it, don't want to make the time to understand it, and give you give you this this discount. Um, so I mean, how, how do you work your way through that? What do you need to do? To prove them wrong. Yeah, there's no doubt that Colombia's um, history is a, is a checkered one. But the major turning point for the country was about five years ago when they signed the peace accord with the FARC. And that's when it became a far more um, uh, risk, uh, far less risky place to be. And that's evidenced by the majors coming in because it met their risk profile as well. So the recent history is nothing like um, the, the early years that, that everyone remembers and perhaps uh, uh, absorbs from, from narcos and similar on, on Netflix or wherever it is these days. But uh, recent history is very positive. And as I said, the, the risk profile is far better. We've got majors all around us. And for us personally, I mean, like the great tick we had um, two months ago now was we raised $20 million and $10 million of that came out of North America, uh, two very significant precious metal funds, you know, the, the biggest of the biggest really. Uh, joined our share registry at uh, $5 million each or slightly under. So um, that's a big tick and big support that uh, this country is not going through those difficult years that it did uh, sort of pre-2015 or so. Yeah, it's interesting. I think North America understands South America a little bit better than like Europe or uh, Australians do. Okay. So, yeah, big, big, big tick. Um Let's, let's talk about the assets, if, if we may, because I just want to, given us the first time we spoke, I just want to kind of sort of broad uh, conversation about all the moving parts. And perhaps if you come back on, we can sort of, sort of deep dive into the assets of the geology a little bit more. But for, for, for today, um, you've got a project, uh, Miraflores, which has got some numbers on it. They're good numbers, but it's a small project. So where does that stand in the portfolio? Yeah, that's spot on. So it, it the model was done on um, $1,300 an ounce. And on those numbers, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they were reasonably robust metrics. So we had an NPV at 8% of about 90 mil. So you know, today's gold price is probably significantly better than that. And a 
payback of 3.3 years. But as you pointed out, it's modest scale. It's um, it's uh, half a million, slightly under half a million ounce reserve, grading 3.3 gram per ton. So it's not going to change the world. It's not going to change who who we are as a company. It's kind of a as Tesserito, I'm sure you'll talk. You'll ask me about Tesserito in a minute. But uh, as Tesserito is growing and has the potential to be many times larger than Miraflores, Miraflores is becoming more of a side act to, to the main story, which is these big porphyries. Miraflores is not a porphyry, by the way. Got it. But it, okay, well, let, let, let's 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 talk about Tesserito because I'm trying to I'm trying to understand how you build this thing out because there's lots of pockets of information that we have been looking at here. And I'm trying to work out, okay, Tesserito, if that's, if that's the name of the game and you're not cash restrain, uh, um, uh, restrained in any way, you've got, what have you got in the bank at the moment? Uh, 23 million. 20, 23 million. Okay, so you, you, you're good to go. How, what is the intent with Tesserito? Because it feels like Miraflores is kind of like, you built the satellite, but one of the satellites first and you bolted back onto the main, the main show. Um, so let's talk about Tesserito, what's the plan? Uh, well, first of all, Miraflores is an old project. It's been around for a long time, and that was kind of the foundation of Metminco. When we came on board, we looked at Tesserito, and there was two holes historically at Tesserito that I don't think the market really appreciated. One was uh, 256 metres at a gram per tonne from surface, and the other was uh, more than 300, 320 or something rings a bell, a gram per tonne from surface. And that kind of fell on deaf ears. But what's really important about those two holes is they're 90 degrees to each other. And crossing each other. So what that tells you is that this isn't some desperate director drilling down the same narrow thing twice to get good results. This had width, potential for width, potential for depth, and potential for um, for, for length as well. So you could potentially have this volume here. So we straight away drilled another hole at Tesserito, hole eight, and that was perpendicular to, to one of those two big intercepts as well. And that allowed people to calculate volume because you now you've got three data points at the surface, three data points at the bottom of the holes, and you can calculate a volume. And it didn't take the analysts more than a few hours to work out that Tesserito, with that announcement, has become or transitioned from a target to a legitimate, at-surface, significant gold porphyry discovery. And, um, and off we went from there. So Tesserito is certainly the main story. It's a point now where, you know, we've drilled 30 plus holes, closer to 40 holes now. And we're still getting these massive intercepts, 200 metre, 300 metre intercepts, starting on surface, grading a gram per tonne, some of them grading one and a half gram per tonne. In fact, we put out one recently, the first 36 metres were grading 3.3 grams per tonne. So still getting these spectacular hits, even though we're actually trying to find the edges of this thing. We're trying to drill the limits of Tesserito and we're still getting 200 metre intercepts. So that's fantastic. It's growing. But to some degree, the market's become a little bit immune to these spectacular results. You know, we've, uh, we were talking before and I said, you, know, you put out a 200-metre intercept starting at surface in, in rural New South Wales and it's a company maker. Uh, we've put out 14 like that and, and some significantly better. One of them was 600-plus metres at 0.88, you know, some, some truly incredible results. But people are becoming immune to those spectacular results now. So we have a dedicated team focused on project generation, uh, target generation, sorry. So uh, one of those was Sebal. That's recently surfaced just uh, nine months ago. That was one, one rock chip sample, one stream sediment sample. And now we've, um, we've completed the, the first round of, of drilling at Sebal and we'll have something to say about that shortly. Uh, and there's other targets coming up through the pipeline to, to create the sizzle, if you like, now that Tesserito has become um, um, a known 
exciting project. So, so how, do you, how does a company like you play it? I, I get it. You're 80, 90 million, depending on the day of the week in terms of market cap. You've, I guess, moved sideways in, in, in what is a depressed precious metal market. We'll put that, take, put that down as a win. How do you play it? Because you can go hunting for targets, which is great, but they're just that. They're targets. They're not discoveries, right? Whereas you've got something which you're describing as, as a uh, discovery. You, you've triangulated it and you can work out uh, the basis of, a, a, of how much uh, contained metal is, is in the ground there. Where do you spend your 23 million bucks? Hunting targets because that's what's good geologically or trying to get to some kind of maiden resource on the discovery that you've got and make it meaningful so the market can react to it in the best possible way. So what's the plan? It's all of the above. Because we've got $23 million in the bank, we can afford to be far more strategic than your typical junior. So uh, we've mentioned Miraflores. I, I didn't mention earlier, but we're going through the final stages of approval for production the final submissions for production. So we do have that possibility. I'm not suggesting we would, but we could. Uh, so you've got this very advanced What do you mean by production? Because you're not building a, a mill with the CapEx that you, and it's a small CapEx. What, no, absolutely million, not. Right? And this, you, no, 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 no. Don't, no, no, we're not. No, okay. this, is, this is the submissions to have everything lined up such that if we chose to go into development, at some point in the future, all of the government approvals are in place. So, um, no, we're not. I'm not suggesting we're going to go build a plant. Does that have value for you um, or someone else? I mean, again, we're just talking about options. What are the options there? The options to well, the options to build the plant, small scale production. Well, build the plant or just get producing, toll mill it, sell it. Yeah. What What are you thinking about? Well, um, that's that's sort of Plan C. So, <laughs> okay. go into production, small scale production, fund exploration out of the production. Um, yeah, yes, that's something we could do. And I think um, if we weren't in such a strong position, I think that would be the the front runner. But we've got the luxury of a lot of money, and we're sitting in one of the areas of prime real estate. You know, we're right in the middle of the most. Pres- Perspective area of the mid-Colca porphyry belt. There's no way a junior would get this ground today. Our, our competitors have far deeper pockets than us now. But So we're right in the middle of this area, massive discoveries around us. You can't focus on a half million ounce reserve and, and push that when you could be sitting on multiple million ounce discoveries right beside it. So yes, develop the Miraflores. Yes, uh, sorry, develop might, might be the wrong word there. Yes, progress Miraflores. Um, yes, continue developing Tesserito because that adds more sort of meat to the bone, if you like, a calculated mineral resource in, in eventually and those sorts of things. But also because we're in such a prospective area, we can't just ignore the fact that we've got all these other targets in the area. And, and one of the things that came out of our deeper understanding of Tesserito is that we know now the structural circumstances or the structural conditions that lead led to the formation of Tesserito. There's there's three structural drivers, and I won't go into it unless you want me to, but there are three structural things that dictate why Tesserito is there. And we're looking at all these other places, and we're seeing those three structural things occurring again. Sibal is one of them, but but there are others. Well, tell us about it. So, sure, okay. Well, the whole of the the mid-Colca porphyry belt from Buritika in the north right through to La Colossa in the south, and actually going on for most of the spine of South America, you have these north-south faults, major plumbing faults that um, carry the, the mineralized fluids. And that's essentially a crumple zone from the oceans whacking into South America. So you've got this north-south line 
um, that sort of dictates the major mineralized systems. Where you see the big ones, the big discoveries like Buritika and, and Nuva Chikiro, is where those north-south are cut by, cut by a northwesterly structure, usually a fault, but some sort of a lineament that's in a northwesterly orientation. It's a, it's a more recent event, so it's remobilized the gold, concentrated it even more. And if you look at the big ones, Buritika, Nuva Chikira, La Colossa, and Mamoto, and so on, you'll see that. You'll see a north-south fault, and you'll see a northwesterly running through it. The third is a jog, so a, a bend in that structure where it's forced to go around something, and that creates more openings in the rock for the fluids to settle and the gold to be sitting in those, in those areas. So they're the, sort of the three main things that led to Tesserito being Tesserito. Cebal has all those three. And there's uh, Santa Sofia in our north, which we haven't even talked about. That has the same thing. Uh, Dos Cabradas has the same thing um, and, and so on. We've got this great many number of targets that uh, could be big discoveries just like Tesserito. So we can't sit back and, and just focus on Tesserito. We need to develop those as well. We could be sitting on something quite significant. And just, just to close it out, there's another interesting aspect here that um, I find quite interesting. There's it's generally accepted there's a periodicity to major discoveries. So they tend to be equi equidistant. And this is not unique to Colombia. You see this in Chile. You see this in Argentina and, and um, Indonesia as well, I believe. Uh, so you look at uh, Buritika, you go 50 kilometres south and you get to Anza. Uh, Anza is an underexplored area, but it's a joint venture between Agno, Agnico Eagle and Newmont. So that tells you what they think of the area, right? Two majors um, um, sharing that, that bounty in, in Anza. You step another 50 kilometres and you hit uh, Titaribi, I think is the next one. And then you go another 50, you hit Mamoto go, and keep on going down. If you use that periodicity, the 50 kilometres, we're sitting at a 50-kilometre point at Kinchia. So, you know, you just look at that and go, well, it's a, it's a very prospective area. We've got the money. Let's make sure we make the most of this. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand. Look, you, you, you've got money. You've got some great targets. got some great, you know, great land package there, and you seem to be going about it the right way. But, again, I come back to this point about talking to the marketplace, in your case, you know, Aussies, and saying, look, South America's – it's a good place. It is well endowed. Colombia, it's things are fine there now, and they are allowing us to get on with the business of mining. And there's lots of big names in there, so that, that's a nice, easy conversation. The thing that they next come to, and, and you, with Miraflores, you've done this, right? You say well, the ASIC is six fifty bucks for us. Um, you know, the the paybacks, you know, th less than three years based on today's uh, price of gold. Um, you know, all, all kind of wonderful, simple data that they can they can go to. Right. But with what you're going to have to do with um, Terracito is put some numbers on that, that they understand and can comprehend. And that's going to be maiden resource. OK, here's a nice scale, uh, a nice size project, you know, which has got the scale that we want. Because you put out these kind of large, long intervals of one, one like, I mean, like 250, 300 meters, huge. No one cares. Is that a factor of the market? Or the fact that they don't understand the type of mining that you're doing. I mean, what do you what do you put it down to? I, I put it down to to a number of things. I think, um, as I said, they become somewhat immune. They, they expect Tesserito to generate spectacular results, and therefore, when it does, they go okay. But what? But define spectacular because you're never going to put out high grade uh, headlines, right? So, what does spectacular look like to you? What should people be looking at? And go, oh, that's spectacular. Well, this is one of the challenges I have, that when we talk about porphyries, uh, high grade is one gram per tonne in porphyry language, you know, and that takes, a, that takes a lot of people, a lot of time for people to understand that. We're not talking about underground operations where, you know, 3.5, 4 gram per tonne is, is what's required. 
one gram per tonne is high grade. You look at some of the big discoveries that are being exploited and they're, they're less than that, 0 0.7, 0 0.8, that sort of thing. Right? So one gram per tonne is considered quite, quite high grade. What, what we're getting is, well, for example, 320 metres at one and a half grams per tonne starting at surface, right? So one and a half grams per tonne, quite unique, right? Um, exploiting that or mining that in the future, particularly when you've got a whole cluster of these high grades near surface, that, that starting area could be very high grade in terms of, of production. So I, I think educating people that one gram per tonne is, is quite significant um, is one of the challenges we have. And just an, another way of comparing that, right? We put out two results in um, uh, quarter one of this year, the, th the 320 metres at one and a half gram per tonne and another one 688 at 0.88 grams per tonne. Now, they sat in the top 10 drill results of any company anywhere in the world on the ASX for about six months. And um, for about three months, they, if we were on the TSX, we would have been on the TSX top 10 drill results for any company on the TSX for quite a while as well. That gives you an idea of how significant those drill results are. Yeah, so that's, a, that's a challenge. It, it is, it is, it is the, a challenge, but it's your challenge. Um, so you yeah, know, yeah. you've got to accept it and say, right, guys, um, the reasons why, why this number matters is because 300 metres at one gram, the economics are quite simple. It's about the amount of contained metal in the ground here. Mm. There's a lot, and it's really At quite surface. efficient to process from surface, right? So yeah. that, that, that's that's your challenge um, that, that, that you've yeah. got to take. You've got to take up. Do you think that? Do you think you've done a good job on that, or is there just there's there, you, you need a bit more time to get a bit more information to be able to actually present the information properly? Look, I I think we're getting there. I think, and the market's maturing. The market's starting to understand porphyries far better than they did you know, four years ago or so. So I think we're getting there and the market's catching up as well. The other thing that helps is that there's references now. So there's a project to our north called Gramalotte. That's 4 million ounces, grading 0.7, open pit. You know, you can start talking about these now because that, that's, um, I don't know if it's actually in, in full production yet, but it's, it's, it's on that pathway to, um, it's had, it has approvals in place and, and so on. So you can look at that and go, okay, well, 4 million at, at 0.7 is, is an economically viable project in porphyry language. And there are plenty of others like that you can now, now draw on as, as comparisons. Right. Let's talk about some of the asset, the, the assets. I get the coming together of the two companies who, how did you pay for the assets? Do you owe anything? Are there other players involved here who still are sitting on shares or owed cash or any of that? I'm just trying to understand the balance sheet a little bit better. Yep, sure. Uh, well, there were actually three main players, or four actually, if you count Anglo Gold or Shanty, but three main players in the merger event. There was us as Andy's Resources and Metminko. And whilst our portfolios were very, very different, ours was big and blue sky, theirs was small and, and advanced, we agreed it was essentially a, a merger of equals, so 50-50 in terms of valuations. Throw it into the mix, though, and one of the reasons why Metminko struggled to get any sort of traction in the years before the merger was they held a $5 million debt with Rand Merchant Bank, and that was due last year. So, you know, they got a good result. Uh, anyone who did any due diligence would quickly go, hang on, uh, they're not going to be able to pay $5 million uh, next year. And so the, the share price would never move, even if the result was good. So that was the third part of the uh, third party in the deal. We had to get rid of that $5 million debt, and that's completely gone. So coming out of the merger, the $5 million is gone. Uh, the other part of the equation was Anglo Gold Ashanti. I mentioned right back at the start of this conversation, there was a project called Chuskal, uh, 
which sits uh, one kilometre away from Miraflores and, and one kilometre away from Tesserito. It's a massive surface footprint. That was actually a joint venture between Metminko and Anglo Gold Ashanti, with Metminko taking 51 and, and um, Anglo Gold Ashanti 49. It was, a, it was an old asset of theirs that they vended into us as part of their broader strategy. Um, we approached them and said, look, it doesn't really make sense that you're a minority holder, albeit a big minority holder, but you're a minority holder of one project in what's looking like a hub and spoke model with Miraflores, Tesserito and so on. It'd make more sense if you were a part of the parent. So uh, they became a 2% shareholder or roughly 2% shareholder of um, Los Cerros and we became 100% owner of Chusco. So in terms of the balance sheet, no, there's no debt, uh, $23 million. And uh, four rigs running continuously. And what's that share register? And you mentioned like two North American funds coming on board for just under 5% each. That's great. What's the rest of the registry look like? Sure. Our largest shareholder is Lizzing PTY LTD. Um, you might not recognize that name, but you might recognize Dr. Minlu Fu. He's the name behind Lizzing. Um, he's a, a very successful Chinese um, mining entrepreneur. He's, he lives in Australia. In fact, I five-minute drive from my house. Um, a very successful man, um, ultra-high net worth individual who dove deep into our geology uh, several years ago, came out the other end and, and um, became a, a put in $2 million, I, I think, day one, and um, be, has always been topping up as we go through. So there, he holds 8.5%, uh, something like that. And then we get to the two precious metal funds. That's just under 5%. So four point something percent. And then we get to sort of the cumulative directors holdings, which is uh, a little under threes, 2.7 to 3%, somewhere in there. Uh, and then, oh, sorry, I missed one, uh, Bullet Holding Corp. And now Bullet Holding Corp has been in Colombia for about 40 years. Um, they're, um, they know everything there is to know about geology in Colombia. And um, they held a portion of the Andes portfolio. So it goes back through a, through a merger with, uh, through a, a joint venture with Bullet that the Andes portfolio existed. So they, they're um, 4%, I believe. And then we've got Anglo Gold Ashanti sitting at 1.67. And what about you? you and a few uh, other funds in there. Have you, have you put a, a chunk of your money in here? I assume this is your one gig, right? It's nothing else. Yeah, this, that, that's right. Yeah. Um, most of that 27 to 3% held by directors is money in um, during the difficult times to keep this company alive. Um, there's a small amount that was um, some performance rights that triggered, given the spectacular share price movement over over recent year, uh, recent 12 months. But other than that, and that's a small part of that, uh, it's all money in. Okay, okay. And you attempted at all to do one of these OTC listings, given the North Americans understand South America just that little bit more, because it's it's heavily le leaning towards retail, it seems here in, in Australia. It is heavily um, geared towards retail. We've got a long tail on the, on the register. Uh, but, you know, as I said, we had these two big North American funds. We have um, um, two out of the UK as well um, that came on. Uh, we didn't need to be listed in North America to do that. And um, they're certainly far from, from retail. But having said that, uh, the Canadians and, and the North Americans understand South America far better than the Australian market does. Uh, there's a track record of success of uh, Colombian uh, ventures on the TSX. So, um, you know, there's form more familiarity and perhaps um, more appetite for, uh, for a South American play in North America. And that's evidenced by these, those two funds jumping in. So uh, not out of the question to, to look at a North American listing at some point, um, but as I said, we've got that North American money coming in. 
uh, without doing that. In terms of OTC, yeah, I, I see there's a bit of movement in that direction with um, with the OTC, so that's part of the mix. But uh, yeah, we're not advanced in those conversations. Right. Okay. Seems, it just seems to me that, that a lot of Aussies um, leaning that way. Um, mm, I've noticed too. Yeah. Interesting. Um, let, let's get let's get back to in, in terms of the use of proceeds. You've outlined some of the things that you're going to be doing and whether it be the, the targets and, and moving uh, Terracito South along. But uh, can we get an idea of timing for, for these things? Like if a maiden resource is being worked on, what's the timing for that? And, and more importantly, what do you think you need to come to market with in terms of scale? Because another Aussie company, a little bit further south, down in Chile, put out a half million ounce or so resource, maiden resource, market went, no, we don't like that. And they've, their share price has been absolutely hammered. It's a good project, but yeah. they didn't appreciate it. So what, what are you going to do? You must be cognizant of those sorts of signals to the market. Yeah, of course. Uh, we're in a we have a pleasant problem. Um, it's it's a good problem to have in that uh, we keep on growing the Tesserito envelopes, the gold envelopes. So we drill to try and find the edges and we're still getting 200 metre intercepts and you know, three gram per tonne on surface and things like that. So we need to know how big this is in terms of the, the envelopes before we start then looking inwards and start infill drilling. So on, a, on the original trajectory, I suspected would be infill drilling and heading towards an MRE, a mineral resource estimate, uh, this quarter. But we're still finding the edges. So I think that's going to slip into, into next year, probably the first half of next year, we'll put out a resource estimate. I guess I guess you've got the kind of luxury of, of, of the cash to be able to choose your timing on it, but it seems it seems a very so Aussie play to try and get things moving a little bit quicker than North Americans who do like to find the edge of the envelope, to use your phrase, and you know maybe show the scale of this. So again, is it the, the mentality here is what hybrid of the two? Is it? It's a hybrid of the two, exactly. Yeah, and with four rigs running, um, up uh, four rigs running. In Tesserito itself at the moment, uh, we're doing both. So we are doing some infield drilling. We are extending out um, to the north and to the south as well. And there's there's a mix. You know, it's not a, not purely one or the other. You can position a, a drill rig such that you're doing some infield drilling in the first 200 metres and then going out into, into virgin territory uh, in the bottom 200 metres and so on. So uh, it's a mix of infill and step out at the moment. Okay. And, and with conditions and country, I, I guess – Assays delayed. I, I hear this every day of the week. Assays are delayed. But tell me about some of the other things that are going on in terms of, you know, some of the applications that you may, may be making, you know, whether it be titles or other kind of lands consolidation or applications for permits, et cetera. I mean, has that been affected too? Uh, not that I'm aware of, no, not not for us. Although we're you know, Kinchi is a very advanced project, so we have granted title in all the areas that we're interested in. So it's not as if we're waiting for someone to give us permission to drill. We can drill in any of these targets, uh, subject you know to, to talking to the farmers and those sorts of things. So we haven't really felt it. But in terms of the assays, yeah, absolutely, we get our lab uh, our assay samples prepared in Medellin into the little envelopes, and then those envelopes, so the pulps, go to Peru. And that process has really slowed down. Um, it's, it's been quite a frustration, uh, but not unique to us, huh? No, 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 it certainly isn't. But, but, but you know, you still, need to, you, you still need to advance the project as best you can in the best possible way. So let's assume the gold market comes back, that you're in a position to move, you know, with, with some expediency rather than sitting around, oh, now, now we'll press the button to be asking for whichever license you need or whatever permissions you, you need. So you are, again, because you're not cash constrained, you're getting on with that process. That's what I'm trying to understand. 
Of course, yeah, of course. We, we have a balanced strategy that includes, you know, keeping our eye on movements in the area and those sorts of things as well. But, of course, you know, I've got to be cautious how much I reveal there. But, you know, of course, we, we're watching what's going on in the local area and with $23 million in the bank and, and a good reputation with the community, we're in a prime position to, to make the most of that. Well, yeah, I mean, the only reason I ask is because we've heard companies come and go, well, given the market at the moment, uh, we'll just hunker down. We'll kind of make sure we're not spending too much money because we just don't know when this thing's coming out the other side. So people have different approaches mm. to this. Okay, um, you mentioned something there, which every, every company is mentioning at the moment. They're desperate to tell me about their ESG and their social um, license, et cetera. Um, how are things? Yeah, uh, look, we're, we're very proud of that. Uh, and I think the best measure of that is that there's, it's it's fluid. The number of people in the company is fluid because we've got you know teams coming and going as we as we initiate um, field programs and such. But let's say on average there's 90 to 100 people in the company. Let's say 100 people in the company. 98 of those 100 are Colombians. It's I'm not Colombian, obviously, as you can tell by the accent, and and the CFO. Is, is not Colombian, but everybody else is Colombian. And the vast majority of them uh, live in Kinchia. And the vast majority of those were in Kinchia when we employed them. We didn't relocate them there. They are part of the local community. And that's been great. You know, the, the success we've had at the drill bit over the last 12 months has allowed us to invest significantly in, in the community uh, and employ people that through, um, um, you know, COVID would probably be, you know, below the poverty line now if we hadn't been able to find a job for them. So we've done a, um, you know, employing 100 people in this time has been, it's been great for the local community and the local economy. And having four rigs continuously operating, we're obviously a significant contributor to their local economy as well. Is it as simple as that, giving people jobs? I mean, like people coming on here telling me that their version of what ESG looks like or should should look like and coming up with more and more differentiated ways to stand out. Is it just as simple as just give people jobs? Well, it's certainly a major one, isn't it? Do you give someone a job, um, they feel they're, they're motivated, um, they're contributing to their society and those sorts of things. It's not just it's not just you know, handouts and similar. Um, we we informally structure our ESG um, along the lines of the, um, the the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals from the United Nations, and so we use that to trigger some things as well. You know, for example, um, we just completed while well, we're in the process of, of developing a project called Kinships which is uh, we've taken 15 women from the, uh, from the artisanal mining workforce, uh, young women with, with families, and we've taken them out of what's quite a, quite a dangerous, um, risky area in, in mining uh, and uh, trained them up in, the, in all aspects of uh, banana chip production. So we've what's, taught what's them that? everything from, you know, <laughs> banana chips. Yeah. They're, well, they're plantains. They're not actually bananas, so they're more savoury. They're more like uh, chips. Oh, they're like the food. Right. Sorry, some reason I, yeah. thought, I thought we were going to be talking some sort of a heating mechanism. Right, no, like no, the, plant, the plantain. Okay, fine. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, these are fried snacks. Um, and so we train these 15 uh, women in bookkeeping, health and safety, logistics, marketing, administration, all aspects of running a business and uh, gave them a, uh, one of our buildings on some land that we own in the area. And uh, so now they've developed kin chips, which is uh, you know, producing snack foods and, and similar. Kin chips. I see what you did there. Kinchia is where is the town and their chips, so kin chips, yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. I, li- I like it. <laughs> their idea, not ours. Oh, right. I was about to say, if the mining doesn't work, eh? you go into marketing. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> hey, well, look, I'm... Uh, Jason, I appreciate the kind of kind of run through there. I wouldn't mind getting sort of 
drilling down, as it were, with maybe one of our technical guys into the project and how you're building that out. Because that is kind of interesting to me, the, the scale and the, the the numbers are good, right? The numbers are good. No one cares. <laughs> it's it's kind of a strange <laughs> one. At some point they will. So again, it'd be great to you know maybe get back in and sort of see how you're building out that big project because that will be the flagship one suspects. Um, but appreciate you coming on today. Let's catch up soon. Well, thanks for your time. Um, hopefully, 2022 will be a very exciting year, just like 2021. You know, we've got four rigs running. We've got $23 million in the bank. We've got a very mature project pipeline from, from DFS right through to Greenfield. So plenty of news flow, plenty of money to generate that news flow. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.